morning's reading is taken from Revelations chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 1 to 7, to the church in Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who came to be apostles, <clears throat> but are not, and have found themselves false. You have persevered <clears throat> and endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forgate, for forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstands from its place. But you have this in your favor. You have the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To those who over overcome, I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. We start our autumn series in the book of Revelation. Is it okay to say autumn? It's sort of a bit final on summer, isn't it? It's been such a great summer, and then you suddenly cut it short, then it's autumn. I don't know if you follow the Edinburgh Fringe, but this morning we're looking at the subject of love, and I heard this uh, little quip during the last couple of weeks. It goes like this. I think love is like central heating. You turn it on before guests arrive and then pretend it's like that all the time. <laughs> the pretense of love. Well, this morning our subject is love. And the message to the church in Ephesus is the message of love. And the message to Christ Church down end this morning is the message of love. Ephesus was a great city. And it was a great church. Ephesus was the business hub of Asia Minor, Turkey to you and me. And they were the place where travelers came, business was done, and people went out. And it was the hub from which the gospel would spread. It was the place from which churches were planted. And the Apostle Paul spent three years there in Ephesus. He spoke with great power. Many were healed. Many were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it's a place where there were riots. There were riots because the idol makers were going out of business because so many people were following Jesus. But Paul, when he finally leaves Ephesus, he gives the elders of Ephesus this warning in Acts chapter 20. He says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. 
I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So it was a place of great blessing, but it was a place of great threat. The threat was just around the corner. And Paul says to them, it's going to be tough. There's going to be opposition, so stand firm. And then 25 or 30 years later, we have John writing these words that Jesus gives him in Revelation chapter 2. And God compliments the church of Ephesus. He compliments them for their hard work, for their perseverance, for their intolerance of evil, for their discernment, for enduring hardship, for not growing weary. They are workers, busy, busy, busy workers. Do you ever feel unappreciated in what you do in the church? You do so much, but you think that no one ever notices, nobody ever says thank you. Well, this is a message from Jesus for you. I know your hard work, he says. You think nobody sees, but God says you're wrong. I see, and I appreciate what you're doing for me. Ephesus was complimented. A busy church, a church that upheld doctrine, that believed the Bible, that preached the gospel, that stood up for truth. In fact, Ignatius, who was the Bishop of Antioch, said that they were so well taught that no unorthodox sect could gain a hearing among them. And he also called Ephesus the Highway of Martyrs. It was the center of the worship of the goddess Diana. It was a dangerous place to live, a dangerous place to be a Christian. But the church hadn't given up. In the face of hardship and trouble and persecution, it had persevered. Many people and many churches would do well to emulate the church in Ephesus. Don't you think God would be proud to don't you think we'd be proud if God complimented us like that? In fact, wouldn't people flock to a church like that? That's a very nearly perfect church. But and it's a big but. But there's one thing, says God, one issue you haven't got right, one area where you're falling short. Where's the love? The love you once have has departed. Jesus says, you don't love me and you don't love each other as you once did. Activity rates are high, but love has dwindled. Love has grown cold. Use your imagination for, for a moment this morning. A boy and a girl meet. They fall in love. They spend precious time together, talking and sharing. There are candlelit dinners, romantic conversation, dreaming about a life spent together. Love grows. They marry, settle down, get jobs become parents, and time goes by. And as it does, the stresses of life begin to occur. Work priorities, bills to pay, deadlines to meet, a house to maintain, demanding children. 
Soon there are problems in this marriage. Arguments and feuds take their toll. Until one day, the couple, who were once so much in love, look at each other across the breakfast table before the husband has shaved and showered, before the wife has dressed and made herself ready, and they both silently say to each other, you're not the person I married. Love has gone cold. Love has been pushed out by life. Love has been pushed out by stuff and stress and busyness and people. And it happened in Ephesus. Stuff had pushed out love. Jesus says, you've got lots of stuff, but your love is missing. Our Christian life starts with love. It starts with falling in love with Jesus. It starts with falling in love with the one who loved us first. It's a passion, it's a motivation, it's a life changer. Jesus is our absolute priority. And then stuff happens. Our focus changes. Priorities change. Affections change. And we've lost our first love. Jesus says in this passage, with pain in his voice, I commend you for all you do, but the fact is you don't love me as you once did. Do you hear that? Are those words which are spoken in love and spoken to rekindle a special relationship? Do they strike a chord in your heart? You don't love me as you once did. It's a plea of love. It's a plea to be restored. It's a plea to come home. Does it matter? Is it serious? You know, I'm busy, 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 Lord. I'm doing all your stuff. Why can't I just carry on as I am? Listen to the words of warning. Jesus says, look how far you've fallen. Turn back and do the work you did at first. If you don't repent, I will remove you from your place. Ephesus, you've got to change. You've got to change or you will cease to be a church. That's stark. That's brutal. But it's unambiguous. And Jesus wasn't joking. Many of you, I suspect, have been to Ephesus. Great archaeological remains, lots of tourists. Where's the church? What, God, what does God want to say to us, Christ Church Downend, in September 2018? Why does he give us this message today? You see, what defines us as a church is not our services of worship. It's not our magnificent new building that we'll all be looking at very soon. It's not our songs, it's not our preaching, it's not our meetings. What defines us as the body of Christ here is our love for God and our love for one another. That's it. Nothing more and nothing less. You know those famous words in 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul gives to the church in Corinth to the effect that without love, you're just a lot of noise. Or Jesus' words in John 13, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, 
if you have love one for another. This is it. This is the main thing. This is the message. Love one another. And how will people you know you are my church? It's because of the love that you have for one another. He's not talking about love for sinners or love for the unsaved or love for the world. He is talking specifically about love for fellow believers. Those we take communion with, those who are sitting next to you this morning, without love, there is nothing. If you don't start loving, you are nothing. If you don't start loving again, Jesus says, you are as good as dead. What happens to make love go cold? What happens that love changes? What happens that love just disappears? There are many things we could think about this morning, but I want to focus on just one thing. And it's this. It's when our focus changes from you to me. It's when our focus changes from you to me. Our love for you, God, becomes my love for me. My love for you, my brothers and sisters, becomes my, becomes my love for me. See, love is not about me. It's always about you. When all my attention is focused on you, I hear what you say. I see your needs and your wants and your desires, and I move to act on what I hear and what I see. And my purpose, my joy, my fulfillment comes from giving myself to you. But when the focus changes and it becomes about me, about what I want, about what I need, then you fade from my awareness, from my interest, because it's all about me. Love fades. Life becomes about me. Selfishness, self-centered, self-absorbed. No room for God. No room for my brothers and sisters in Christ. No room for worship. No room for giving. It's all about me. Does your prayer life reflect that model? Are your prayers about what you need? About what you want? about what you desire? Or are they about what God wants? How his will is done? How others are blessed? Love is not about me. It's always about you. And love is about doing, not feeling. There are two key words in verse 5, the word repent and the word do. Repent and do the things you did at first. The cure for lost love is found in doing. Love is expressed in words, but love is really seen when it's expressed in deeds. Love in action. Do you want to see love in action in the church? Look at Acts chapter 2. And notice the doing that goes on in these verses. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. 
And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There's a lot of doing going on there. They're devoted to God through teaching, through fellowship, through communion, through prayer, but they're devoted to each other, through sharing, through giving, through gathering, through eating together. And what's the outcome? It's blessing. It's joy. It's conversions. It's favor. It's the elimination of need. It's not about me. It's about you. And what happens in the next chapter when Ananias and Sapphira sell their field and decide to keep half the proceeds themselves and deceive the church into thinking they're giving the, the church the lot? What happens is stops being about you and it starts being about me. Love always puts you first. Do you remember after his resurrection, Jesus standing on the beach with Peter and he asks Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? And that's the question for us he asks this morning. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Yes, I commend you for all you do, but do you really love me? How do we answer that question? Peter answered it quickly and easily. Yes, Lord, I love you. But Jesus answered him the question, asked the question again and again. Words were easy, but the proof lay elsewhere. Jesus says to Peter, go and do something to show you love me. Go and feed my sheep. Put your love into action. Have you lost your first love? Jesus invites you to come home, to do the things you did at first, to stop it being about me, and to start it being about him and about you. Let's pray together. In one of his other letters, John writes this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Father, we're reminded this morning of the man who came to Jesus and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And this morning we want to say, Lord, we love you, but help, help us with our lack of love. Holy Spirit, come and kindle and fan into flame a love for Jesus that burns brightly in the heart of each and every one of us. Give us that love for Jesus, which puts him first and only. 
give us that love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we may support one another, love one another, minister to one another, encourage one another. Lord, we pray that the hallmark of us as your church here would not be a hallmark of busyness or activity, but a hallmark of love. Lord, we pray this for the glory of your great name. Amen.